Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? And happy new year. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I hope you're kicking off your new year doing Feast to Fast with us, which starts this week. I think we're all ready to tighten things back up and get into the new year healthy and strong. And I would encourage you to make sure God is a part of your new year goal, you know, spending more time with him, strengthening your relationship with him, that's what we do in Feast of Fast. It's food, fat loss, and Jesus. It's fabulous. So come join us. We are starting our podcast new year out with a bang because we have a guest on with us today who describes herself as the uncensored nurse. Her name is Amanda Wilcox. And I came across her from a post that someone shared that she had written about tonsils <laughs> of all things. But it caught my eye because I've been wanting to do a post or a podcast or something about the tonsils and gallbladder and other things like that, that doctors take out on a whim or say you don't really need. Because I'm like, uh, God put them there for a reason. You know, tonsils are a part of your body's immune system. They act as a filter for bacteria and viruses, and they make white blood cells and antibodies. And so if you constantly have swollen tonsils, to me, that's like a fire alarm, right? And we can take out the tonsils, but we're just taking out the alarm, not the fire. You know, it's not the root cause of the problem. And so in this post that I saw Amanda write, um, she said the following, and I couldn't have said it more perfectly myself. She said, the critical thinking part of my brain said, there has to be some effect of wiping out an entire organ whose primary role is to defend against germs. So how about we take an approach to treat recurrent illnesses by looking at root cause? Maybe let's address diet. Let's look at environmental toxic load. Let's get the gut in check. Let's allow the body to heal from a germ instead of throwing antibiotics and antipyretics at the first sign of an infection. After all, keeping your immune system strong, working, and intact is the first form of defense against disease. I read all that and I was like, I like this chick. <laughs> Maybe she'd be good to have on the podcast. So I popped over to her profile page. And the first thing I see is a quote that says, the Lord is your confidence. And so after scrolling through a little bit more, I discovered that she's a fairly new Christian and she openly shares her relationship with Jesus. She puts out awesome info. She's very straightforward and smart and not afraid to ruffle feathers. And I was like, oh yeah, I've got to get her on. So I messaged her to invite her here and she said, yes. And I said, great. Okay. What do you like to talk about the most? And she said, medical field lies. 
And I literally laughed out loud. I was like, perfect. So that's what we're talking about today. Amanda has since left the conventional medical world and now spends her time educating and advocating for getting to the root cause of illness and disease. And like I said, today, we're going to just talk about her various experiences, the failings of conventional medicine that she's seen and experienced firsthand, and the truths that she's learned after re-educating herself and others about a holistic approach to health. So welcome, Amanda Wilcox, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am, I am pumped to share all the things that I know. Good. I'm so glad. I literally, so, so everyone knows I literally went through Amanda's um, Facebook feed and I just pulled out like random things that she had talked about. And I'm like, how about this? How about this? How about this? And so we're just going to kind of pop around and let it flow. Um, but before we get started, give us some, some of your background, you know, how you got into the medical field and just, I guess the disillusionment that let you out of it. That might be one big, long story that leads us into everything, but just kind of start us off with that. Yeah, I think that's actually the perfect intro. So um, my mom is a nurse. She went to nursing school. Um, I think she finished when I was about four. Um, so I grew up having a nurse for a mother. Um, and I remember as a kid, I, I didn't want anything to do with the medical field. I didn't want to be a part of it. I went to college for something completely different. Um, and then when I realized that I was going to have this astronomical amount of college debt and not really know if I was going to be able to have a job afterwards, I was like, eh, I'd probably go to nursing school. I feel like it, it makes sense. It's a, um, it's a relatively inexpensive degree. It's a two year com time commitment. And, um, I've watched my mom do it my whole life. So I know that I could do it. Um, so she actually was getting her nurse practitioner license while I was in nursing school and we lived together. So that was an interesting um, couple of years. We kind of saw each other as ships in the night in passing. Um, and my whole family is in medicine. I have aunts and cousins that are nurses. Um, my mom's twin sister is a pharmacist. So I... I'm truly the black sheep of the family now that I'm like, um, hi, everything that we knew is half truths and full lies. Um, so what happened to me with leaving, um, I was probably, I'd probably been a nurse for six or seven years and I was working in a home infusion, um, company. So what I would do is I would, um, go and um, help people after our primary um, patient base were people who had infections and they were going home on um, long-term IV antibiotics. And then our other big um, patient population was people who were battling cancer and they would have to go to their doctor's office and get like a six to eight hour infusion and then go home with a 48 hour infusion that I would um, help them hook up and then detach after the 48 hours. So while I was working there, I had this patient who um, we always tried to teach them how to um, take their own chemo off and um, deaccess their port themselves. And she said, I'm not going to learn how. And I was like, well, you're, you know, you're, your deaccess day is on a weekend and we don't have a lot of staff. So we like to try to teach people on the weekends how to do it themselves. And she was like, no, I'm not doing, I'm not learning it because I'm not doing it again. And I was like, uh, you, this was just your first treatment. They usually had like 12 to 15 treatments that were um, every three weeks. So she was at the very beginning of this. And she said, 
I'm not going to do this. Um, I found this entire um, video library called The Truth About Cancer. And what I've decided to do is completely overhaul my diet, go vegan, um, cut out all of the sugar. And I, I really think that I can get rid of my cancer that way. And so it kind of got my wheels turning and she gave me the information and I was already pretty health minded anyway. So I was like, let me, let me take a peek at this. So I looked at the truth about cancer and I remember sitting in my little office. Um, my husband was watching TV in the living room and I was watching these doctors tell the truth about cancer. And I remember I couldn't stop crying. I was, I got so emotional because I thought to myself, this whole time, I thought that I was helping people get well and beat cancer. And in reality, I was really just helping them die. And that was kind of the first glimmer that I was like, this is not something that I'm going to be able to do long term. Um, I did it as long as I needed to, to pay my bills. But I knew, I knew that there was something that I could do that was more than pushing pharmaceutical drugs um, and basically just managing symptoms, not really helping people get well. Um, so that was kind of my first little spark that I needed to get out of nursing. I knew I needed to make a plan. And then um, fast forward a few years, it was actually um, fall of 2019. I was living in New York and um, I was working as a director of an, uh, um, an assisted living facility. And I was in um, this kind of smallish town and I saw on the news that all of these nurses from Albany Med were being fired because they would not get the flu vaccine. And this was in fall of 2019. So I was like, huh, this is really coming down the pipe. Well, I don't, I'm not getting the flu shot. I, I got it once, I think, in my entire career as a nurse. And um, I was like, well, I, I need another plan. So I, I made a plan and I ended up, um, I ended up leaving the nursing field right before COVID happened. Um, and it was, it was just, it's been since I left in December of 2019, I have had the time and the, the ability to kind of dig through all of the things that I always thought were normal with the medical field that are so not normal. They're just common. So that was sort of my like journey out of um, allopathic medicine um, and into kind of what I do now. Wow. Okay. Um, I, yes, I remember watching the truth about cancer series. That was such an eye opener. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I highly recommend that to people. Um, okay. So now along the way, um, you, you have a daughter mm -hmm. um, and you had some, uh, some issues around vaccine. Is that with, with your daughter? Can you tell us about that and kind of where that fit into to your story? Yeah. So it's funny. It didn't, it didn't really, um, surface for me until after I had already kind of left the nursing field. But, um, when I first had her, I, I was never a pediatric nurse. I was never an OB nurse. I like, I did joints and infusions and that type of stuff. So I, I learned what I needed to in nursing school, but it was never my um, area of expertise. So I listened to everything, especially as a new mom, 
to everything that the pediatrician told me. Um, she was born right before Christmas on the 20th of December. So it was, you know, peak flu season and myself and my husband both got flu shots, um, in order for, you know, her to stay healthy, so to speak. She got all of her vaccines and, um, it wasn't until I retrospectively looked back, um, she was sick all the time. So I asked my pediatrician, my mom, who's a nurse practitioner, um, all of these things. I was like, she's sick all the time. Is this normal? And I got the same answer from everybody. Kids get sick all the time. They all told me that most children have some sort of illness 10 times a year, almost every month. And I was like, yeah, but everybody else's kids aren't as sick as my kid. Like they, it was all of the time. RSV. Um, it was mostly respiratory stuff for her and fevers. She would get fevers pretty much every other week for the entire winter. Um, she got RSV twice, she, like had to go to the hospital, couldn't stop coughing. It was, it was ridiculous. So I didn't start connecting these, the dots to vaccines until my best friend from high school, who I'm still best friends with her son was injured from the MMR vaccine prior to his um, going into kindergarten, five years old, never had any issues. He stopped making eye contact. He started walking on his tiptoes, flapping his arms, um, covering his ears. When he would hear loud noises, he started having GI issues. He would poop his pants like in the middle of a store and he was five. So it was very out of character for him. So she connected those dots and realized that it was the MMR that did that to him. So she detoxed him. I watched her go through the whole thing. And I was still pretty severely indoctrinated in the medical community at that time. So her few, her last shots that she ever had were a few months after Levi had his whole MMR situation. And it wasn't until two years later. So she was two when she had her last shots. And it was, the, I was trying to do the timeline when I was thinking of this story. And it was either the year after or two years after, I can't remember, but she went in for a pre-K wellness checkup. Um, and she always had her yearly physicals around January. She was born in December and they asked me about MMR and I was like, no, she's not going to kindergarten this year. Like I'll wait. And cause I, I knew in my head I wasn't doing it, but, and then she, it bought, bought me some time, but she gave me her, um, shot record. And I started looking at her shot record and then I started looking at pictures from those times. So I went back in my camera roll on my phone and I pulled up, I was like, oh yeah, I remember sending a picture of her to my mom and she had a rash all over her body. And then I looked at her shot record in correlation to that picture and she had had her MMR two weeks prior to that picture. And then I started looking and I was like, oh yeah, she was sick. And she had, we had to take her to the hospital because she had RSV. And that was one week after her MMR. And then I got looking even further and I was like, wait a second. She also had, um, when she was born, she had a um, facial droop paralysis. Um, they had a neurologist look at it when she was born. She was born on a Sunday night. So she didn't get seen by a physician until for her like checkup until six o'clock the following day. She had already had the post-birth hep B shot and her um, 
one corner of her mouth was droopy. And they said, oh, it's probably because of how she was laying on your placenta for so long. It caused some nerve damage. If it doesn't interfere with eating, it's fine. If it resurfaces, let us know. We'll address it then. So I took that as face value. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I went along with my day and my life. And what I noticed was every single time, and I can go back to every single date and time where she had a vaccine, her facial droop resurfaced every single time after she had a shot. And it was when I looked at that, I was like, Oh, oh boy. Oh my gosh. This is, this is huge. And I remember sitting on zoom with, um, a bunch of girls that I work with now. And I was telling the story because I'd just come from the pediatrician's office and I just like connected all these dots. And my friend literally had an appointment on Monday to catch her son up with all of his shots that he had missed. And he had had the same issue and he wasn't talking. And I remember us all, we just sat on zoom crying that we figured it out. And we, she was like, I really think that that was the day that you saved my son from being autistic for the rest of his life. There's no way that he could have ever come back from all of those vaccines. And, um, it, it was then that I knew that I needed to one, share this story more. I was kind of, not I won't say embarrassed about sharing it for a while, but I didn't want all of the backlash that came from my family who very much believes in vaccines and um, thinks that I'm crazy for literally moving 800 miles away so that my child could go to school because there's no religious exemptions in New York. Um, and I, it was then that I was like, I, people, people need to know this because Nobody connects these dots. And a lot of times it's too late. And um, if we can figure it out quickly, if you've already vaccinated your children and you're like, oh, well, maybe this is an issue, you can figure it out and detox them. Or if you can save them from having this issue from the beginning. um, That was when I really realized that I needed to be much more heavily involved in the medical freedom community and, and sharing what I know, even though, you know, we all get censored. (laughs) Right. Drop of a hat. Right. So we, was your best friend able to detox her son out of those, those symptoms that came from the, from getting the vaccine? Yes, she, she was. Um, he still has like very minimal, um, a little bit of residual stuff, Um, but she detoxed him. It was all, as I'm sure you are aware, but gut health was huge. Um, cutting out sugar, um, getting him on a quality probiotic and fixing all of the gut health. And then I also did that with my daughter, um, which she didn't have. Her issues were respiratory related and illness related, not more on the autism spectrum related, Um, but I did the same thing for her. We really limit sugar. I got her on a quality probiotic. Um, I give her a good multivitamin and, um, omegas and all of those have really changed everything in the last two years, um, with her health. So that's awesome. So I I have seen just, you know, from some of your posts here and there, like that you recently moved, was your move kind of recent or, last we moved in 2020 when okay. we got sick of New York being shut down <laughs> we were like we're out <laughs> good timing so where do you live now i live in wilmington north carolina now 
Oh, how nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. I mean, that, that alone, like we could stop the podcast right here. <laughs> and, I, and I think all that you've already said is um, a lot for somebody to consider and, and think about. Um, you know, we know that um, the rise of autism is just unbelievable. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, it just wasn't diagnosed. There's always been that yeah. autism. It just wasn't diagnosed like it is now. And um, I don't believe that's true. I, I think, don't either. Uh, <laughs> I think um, between all of, you know, all of the toxins we have coming at us, whether, whether they're environmental or whether they're um, maybe in a vaccine or um, all the, you know, antibiotics that parents take the the wreck of the gut of the parents really influences the the children um there's just a lot to it but um but I'm so glad that you are bringing awareness around this and that um it does highlight the need for good gut gut health for parents and for the children and and the amazingness of what can happen um and what you can overcome when you do work on the gut so right. that's incredible um Okay, so um, this is like I said, this is kind of skipping around. But <laughs> speaking of um, um, reproduction and women and such, I thought I saw one of your posts where you were talking about um, birth control and how um, you had been on it and how it had been um, kind of wrecked your hormones. And I think this is one of those things that again, we don't talk about enough, we don't think about. And so can you just share um, some of the, maybe the correlations or um, discoveries that you've made about yeah, that? Absolutely. So I am, I'll be 36 next month. So I am in the generation of women who were put on birth control when we were in late middle school, early high school, even before being sexually active, because our doctors told us that it would help with headaches and it would help with acne and it would help with heavy periods and it would help with cramping. And in the late 1990s, early 2000s, we believed it. And my mom was a nurse. So I went on all the things and I have pretty much been on birth control from the time I was 14 or 15 until literally last year. So more than half of my life, I was on birth control and, um, I, you know, it should have been, isn't it so funny how hindsight is 2020? Yes. It, should, it should have been a red flag to me when I was in my very early twenties that I had tried every single pill known to man and all of them did not work for me. I remember I did the, the, depot, the ring, the every single type of ortho tricycline low, blah, all the different things. And I remember thinking, I was like, well, I, I have to try a different one because this one makes me want to hurt people. This one makes me crazy. <laughs> this one makes me cry all the time. It, like it was just ridiculous. And so when I was 22, I had an IUD put in and back then they would not put IUDs in if you hadn't had a child. But my mom, being an OB nurse and having all of the um, connections. connections to all of the people, she was like, oh, I know a doctor. He'll put it in for you. Call this number. So I went and I had an IUD put in. I understood in that very moment why they don't put them in um, people who haven't had children because they had to dilate your cervix from the outside. That is not fun. Um, <laughs> I will never forget that. And I had it. My first one was totally fine. I had no issues with it. I did have like cramping and that type of stuff in the beginning. Um, 
but then it went away and I lived my life for five years until then I got married. I was ready to have a baby. So I took the IUD out and I got pregnant. That's a whole nother story. Um, I had it put back in when she was six months old and it was never the same. It was never right. I always felt weird. Um, my periods were never correct. And I, in the last probably year, I've been really looking into hormones because I truly believe, and I can't, I can't say this, that it's a fact that it's from this, but in my research and what I have experienced, I think that being on hormonal birth control for close to 20 years of my life, um, made it so that my pituitary gland completely doesn't work. Um, it doesn't know how to create the hormones that it needs to create. I'm in adrenal fatigue. Um, I have done all of these things, thyroid issue, um, low libido, all of these different issues um, that have come through. And I'm working through them with a naturopathic doctor um, to help support my God-given hormonal system that is like, hi, you, I don't know what to do now. What, how does this work? (laughs) Because I messed it up for so long. And I also believe that all of these, it's a myriad of issues, but I think that birth control is at the root of all of these women who are infertile. Like, I feel like my generation of women, we are the ones who were put on birth control at a young age, got, I got every single Gardasil vaccine when it was brand new. Like I probably was in the clinical trials without my knowledge is how I feel. Cause it was that new. Um, and all of these things that we have done to our bodies and not even to mention, you know, all of the environmental toxins and the, um, endocrine disrupting products that are in our homes that we're spraying in the air and slathering all over our skin. All of these things are contributing to all of these hormonal issues that people are going to regular doctors for. And they're like, well, I don't know why you can't get pregnant. And I'm like, I know why you can't get pregnant because you've been shoving yourself full of fake hormones for 20 years and putting all this crap in your body that it, your body is not a viable place for a living organism to grow because it's, it's like a wasteland. And I think that that is one of the biggest lies of the modern medical community is that we don't know why people are infertile. It's very simple to figure out why people are infertile. And it's, I did not have those issues myself, but I watch it with so many people. And it's something that I also think that you're, it takes a lot to figure out how to fix yourself and to, to really get in touch with your body. Like I have been on, um, basal temperature birth control for about 16 months now. And it's not hard. You wake up in the morning and you put a thermometer in your mouth and you punch it into an app and it tells you when you're fertile and when you're not like, it's not difficult, but that was never even a thought of an idea as a first line of birth control for me when I was a teenager or in my twenties, nobody ever thought of that. Cause they're like, well, you're not going to do it every day. Well, it's not that hard. It's the same as taking a pill every day. It's just one little piece of your routine every day. So I think that between all of those things, there is this huge broken part. There's a lot of broken parts of the medical community, but that's one of them that's causing so much pain and heartache when you're taking a system 
that God created, there's a system. I was told when I had my IUD, I said, so it's not like, it doesn't matter that I don't get a period on an IUD. Isn't that like, isn't that a problem? And they said, well, no, because if you're not producing an egg, then there's no lining to shed. So you don't need to have a period because nothing's happening. And now I'm thinking to myself, well, that is concerning. Why would we shut off a whole system that is created perfectly just for convenience? Yes, I know. I mean, yes, I took birth control and all, <clears throat> all that as well. Um, and I was like, part of what led me on my journey and got me here is I was diagnosed with quote unquote, unexplained infertility. Mm. And, you know, they sent me to a specialist who wanted to do, you know, the turkey baster that, uh-huh. you know, the, um, um, I'd go that whole route. And I did not, but instead I went to a naturopath who changed my diet. And I also read a book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility, where I relearned about my body and I took my temperature and did those things as well. And within six weeks, I got pregnant. Hmm. Um, I was like, oh, how about that? And I think of all the people in the world who, you know, get a diagnosis like I did um, and then go, you know, and I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but that's not your, that's not the first thing that, you know, that's not the first choice. That's not the first thing to do. There's so many things that you can do first that, um, will give you a higher chance of conceiving and, um, be less expensive and less just, oh gosh, stressful and everything. Um, I want to, um, kind of go back and touch on something you said about your pituitary gland. I think that's so interesting. You said that, and just to kind of remind listeners, if you remember, um, the way I described the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland for all of you who watched, um, Dukes of Hazard, I'm of that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that your hypothalamus is like boss hog and then your pituitary is like Roscoe P. Coltrane, like carrying out all the orders. Or if we want a more, uh, more modern version, we could go to Yellowstone and we could say your hypothalamus is John Dutton and your pituitary is Rip. Okay. <laughs> Rip <laughs> is telling everybody what to do, right? He's like, uh, you know, directing all the ranch hands, right? Your pituitary is telling all your like adrenal glands, you know, to make hormones or thyroid, all these things. And so kind of what you're saying is that because you pumped yourself full of um, these synthetic hormones that those, it, that feedback loop to your pituitary is like, oh, there's hormones here. I don't need to do that anymore. And so it can interfere with that pituitary function, um, which can bleed into other systems of the body, essentially. That's what you're saying, correct? Yes. And for me, it was, and this is like a total offshoot, but this is what I'm dealing with right now, is I have had a skin condition since, oh my gosh, I was probably 19 when I got it. It it was diagnosed to me as tinea versicolor. And the more that I had it, the more that I realized that it was very common. And they say it's not contagious, but I'm pretty sure I got it from a tanning bed. And it's what it is, is it was a, um, it's a fungal infection and it gets into your skin cells and it makes it so that those particular skin cells do not produce any um melatonin and they don't have any pigment on them. So I currently, um, it looked like a a spotted cheetah animal, um, on my arms and my back and my stomach because the hormonal, it's all interconnected. Everything with your endocrine system is interconnected 
into everything. So when my hormones started going all crazy, it reblasted this tinea versicolor problem, which I'm like, help, help me, please <laughs> make it go away. So it's, it's things that you wouldn't even think are connected end up being connected in that whole vast system. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of skin, I mean, another thing that led me here to where I am today and becoming a nutritional therapist is, yes, I had a skin condition for 20 years, um, hydrodenitis superativa, it's a genetic skin condition. I went to doctors. They basically did everything. We did everything we could do. Every you know, medical intervention all the way up to major surgery. Um, and finally, they're like, you know, there's nothing more we can do. And, you know, mm -hmm. did any of them ever ask about my diet? No, anything like that. I change my diet and it goes away. You know, now I yep. manage it through diet. If I go off the rails, it comes screaming back at me. Yep. Um, but, you know, all again, <laughs> medical lies <laughs> or medical <laughs> ignorance. I don't know what, but it's just so, you know, it's so frustrating. Um, well, so speaking, okay, so we, um, we kind of touched on, um, you've gone to a naturopathic doctor. I, that's kind of what, where I went. And one of the things that, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of this and led me to where I am in holistic health. Um, you recently posted something so fascinating about, um, Rockefeller yeah. and how he <laughs> kind of interfered with the, um, the holistic health approach, which is what, what was, you know, where we were, you know, before we had all these medical schools and such. Anyway, tell us more about that. I was really interested um, when I read right. that. So I came across this and some of the stuff on my um, social media, I write other stuff I read and I'm like, oh, everybody needs to hear this. So I just kind of like add my own words to the beginning and share the information. So Rockefeller literally messed up everything when he showed up. <laughs> he ruined the whole country, the whole world, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what he did when he came around, so if anybody doesn't know who Rockefeller is, he's like one of the most rich fam, the beginning of one of the richest families in the world, most powerful, most influential. And what he did is when he came on the scene in um, the early 1900s, there was um, 22 homeopathic medical schools, there was 100 homeopathic hospitals, and there was over a 1000 homeopathic pharmacies. So Boston University, Stanford, New York Medical, they all taught homeopathy. And this changed when the, it's called the Flexner Report. You guys can go um, research what that is and read it for yourself. I read the Flexner Report a couple months ago, and I was I was like, well, that all makes sense. I understand why we are why we are where we are now. Um, and basically, the report was an attempt to align medical education under a set norm that emphasized lab research and the patenting of medication. So they made this whole report. And it was funded by Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and, you know, all of these super, super uber rich people. Um, and he used his power to influence Congress to declare the AMA, which is the American Medical Association, the only body in the United States that had the ability to grant medical school licenses. So he used that power to make the only body able to grant medical licenses also 
he said that all of the people who went to these schools, he used his influence and his money to say, I will, in, I will um, endorse your school, I will fund your school, but you have to teach my curriculum. And that was pharmacology. And that was the rise of chemical medication. And they um, basically drove out all holistic medicines and remedies, viewing it as quackery. I remember being in nursing school um, in the early 2000s, and it was it was comical that people people used to joke and nurses used to be like, oh yeah, that person came in, their blood sugar's 700 because they're trying to treat their diabetes with cinnamon. Oh, how stupid. And cinnamon literally keeps your blood sugar at a stable level. Like it's clinically proven, but there is obviously places where that doesn't work. You can't live with your blood sugar elevated in the five, six hundreds and think that you're going to fix it with cinnamon. You've gone too far, but as a preventative measure, it absolutely works. So they made it so that all of these natural remedies are scoffed at. Um, And if you think about it, Western medicine with drugs and pharmaceuticals and chemical compounds are brand new. They've only been around for about a hundred years. Whereas plants and everything, God gave us everything we needed when he created this earth. Everything that we need to stay healthy grows on this earth and is available on this earth. Um, But, you know, there's also situations where vitamins and supplements are, or not vitamins and supplements, vitamins and minerals are depleted in our soils because, you know, we've been farming the land for so long. Um, so supplementation, um, I get talking too fast and my brain goes quicker than my mouth. Um, supplementation is key, but you have to make sure that you're taking the right kind of supplement and supporting your immune system with something that's actually helping you and not, you know, breaking down in your system and not being absorbed proper place. Um, and also finding a naturopathic doctor around you. And they're kind of difficult to find, to be honest. Um, cause there's, I think my doctor told me that there is three schools in the whole country that you can get, a. um, she's an ND, a naturopathic doctor instead of an MD, which is a medical doctor. Um, there's three schools that you can get an ND um, education from left in the whole country. Um, and nutrition is not even on the medical licensing boards. There's no, It doesn't say the word nutrition not once. Um, so being proactive about your health and finding one of these doctors and kind of bucking the system is what's going to keep people healthy. I have seen a quote by a physician Um, who was a medical doctor for, I think he was a doctor for 50 something years before he retired. And he said, the best way to stay healthy is to stay out of the medical community. If you can keep yourself out of it, that's the best way that you're going to stay healthy and stay, live a long life. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Um, Gosh. Yeah. I thought that that, I thought that that, um, information about Rockefeller. I mean, now that's, that is how we got where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very sad. So when you went through, um, nursing school, did you have any 
nutrition classes? I did take a nutrition class in nursing school. Um, it was one semester. So that was it. And what I remember about that class uh, was, and in my nursing classes, there was a lot of talk in nutrition about management of symptoms surrounded around medication. So for example, if you're on a blood thinner called Coumadin, you got to make sure your vitamin K is low because it will interact and cause you to bleed more. Um, it seemed as though everything, like there's certain medications that you can't take with grapefruit because it interacts with them and causes it to not work or causes issues. So the overwhelming majority of what I remember from nutrition classes was how nutrition interacts with pharmaceutical drugs. That was the main emphasis that I remember. Wow. And that's, (laughs) I hear that doctors, um, that's probably about what they get. They get very little nutrition education. And yet, and yet what we eat is what literally makes our body. I think doctors get less nutrition education than nurses. Is what I, oh my gosh. Is what I, I think they get like an hour or two. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's insane. I mean, it's insane to me. Um, it's, that's totally crazy. So, okay. You, um, I want to talk here in a minute about you finding the Lord because that's been a kind of somewhat recent for you. But before we do that, to kind of come around with where, so where you were, where you are now, I mean, what has changed for you in your life? How do you live your life? I mean, for one, you moved 800 miles so you could pursue medical freedom. I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> and I still want and, and you do yes, because every I was not putting my kid my five-year-old in a mask to go to kindergarten like the whole there's a myriad right. of different reasons but I just my husband and I laugh we're like we moved all the way here so that she could go to school and we still don't send her to school yeah. <laughs> oh the irony the irony um this is warm well, doesn't mean she won't ever, but, yeah. um, but tell us more kind of about what, you know, how your life has changed in your, um, habits and, and health approaches and kind of what you do to keep yourself healthy. Yeah. So, um, I, my husband picks on me all the time. He's like, you, you preach all this health and you don't work out like you should. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, but I should. Um, but I try and it's much easier now living in the South. It's much warmer. I try to be active. Like before I hopped on here, actually, we just went for like a two mile walk around our neighborhood. Um, I try to be outside in nature, act like moving around, not just sitting at a desk all day, which is what a lot of my when I wasn't working at hospitals, when I had jobs, they were mostly desk jobs or car jobs when I was doing home care. Um, so I try to just move around. I also am really happy that I'm in a place right now where I have a little bit more time to think about what I'm eating. So when I was, for example, working in the hospital, like hospital food is terrible. I don't know how they ever expect anybody to get healthy when they're feeding you slop on a tray. Like when I was working in the hospitals, there was 
pizza, cookies, candies on the floor all the time. Because what do people bring when they're thankful for you? They're like, oh, thank you so much for helping me with my knee replacement. Here's donuts. Here's cookies. Oh, you're short staffed. Here's a pizza party. Like there was just all of that crap. So I don't have really access to that anymore. So now whatever's, I always joke, I'm like healthy me is the one that buys all the groceries. And then fat me is the one who wants a snack at 10 o'clock at night. And I don't have anything in my house that I want to eat <laughs> because I bought all the groceries to be a healthy person. So <laughs> and I, it's like a running joke for me, but that I also take, um, clinically proven real high quality vitamins and supplements. Um, I make sure that there's, I just did a post about this last week. Um, you know, EMF protection and making sure that we have like stickers on all of our stuff to block EMF. And I had, I went through this whole rigmarole to not have them put some, um, something with the, the smart meters so they can read it remotely, but it had like all of these detrimental, like 5g type issues on it. So I went through all kinds of garbage to make sure that they didn't have that installed on my house. Um, we don't really watch TV. So it was funny when you were talking about um, Yellowstone. I'm like, I have no idea the reference that you're making. <laughs> because I don't watch TV. Well, you know what? You're probably better for it. So it's no fine. Idea. But um, I was a little outdated with my Dukes of Hazard, So I thought maybe I ought to update that. But anyway, it's better that you don't. But you already know what the hypothalamus and pituitary do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I was like, ah, oh, I get it. Kind of. That's I don't so know funny. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we don't really watch TV. I really try to, um, you know, keep, I feel like your mental state is so important to be able, like I watch my daughter and she's like watching TV and I'm like, eh, you probably shouldn't watch that. Um, turn something, something different. Um, turn that off. And just really keeping ourselves in like a good mental spot as well as a good physical health spot. Um, making sure that we're like, I don't know if my family, I feel like was the odd family growing up. My mom always made sure we sat down at the table and ate dinner together every night. And I am like real hard about that. Minimum five days a week, our family sits down at the table and eats dinner together because so many people eat on the run or they're running here, they're running there, they're running home late from work. And then you're not paying attention to what you're eating and you're eating more than you should because you're just like on the go and shoving food in your mouth while you're driving to wherever you need to be going. Um, and you're, you're so much more mindful of what you're eating when you're sitting down and like, that's what you're doing is you're eating. So you're, right. Plus you're, you're not, when you're on the go, you're not in a parasympathetic state. So your body is not prepared to break down and process food. And right. that's one of the biggest causes of, you know, the, one of the starts of digestive disorders and it's, it, and, you know, just sitting down and being, yeah, being in, with your family and just kind of taking a deep breath and eating in more of a relaxed state makes all the difference. That way to go, way to go your mom and way to go you mom. That's awesome. <laughs> That's very awesome. Um, I like that you brought in the mental piece of it because um, I always say here and I've, I've seen that you um, share that too, that it's, it's very much. Um, spirit, mind, and body. I always say spirit first because I think that, um, you know, our spirit feeds our mind and our mind, you know, directs our body. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a perfect segue into 
um, how you came to Jesus. Tell us that story because it you did not um, really grow up that way. Well, I'll let you tell it. You tell it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I grew up in, um, I don't, I, I always want to use the word atheist, but I don't, I really don't think that my mom is atheist. Um, I, I, I think that she just kind of didn't really know. Um, so I grew up without church and, um, I remember my grandmother's Roman Catholic, but I don't ever remember her going to church. Um, and I used to always go to church, different churches with my friends and like go to their youth groups and like go on their trips with them. Cause I was like, what is this all? What is this? I want to know more, but that's kind of where it sat. I never, I never took it anywhere further. Um, and I, I was chased down by Jesus for, oh my gosh, I would, seven years, I think is pretty much what it was. I just, um, was saved last October is when I was baptized. Um, and it was, my, one of my really close friends from high school, um, her father was a pastor and we lived in a very small town. Like I graduated with 30 people. Um, she was a year older than me. So it was a very tight knit town. And I remember we, we had reconnected in our twenties and I was looking for somebody to marry my husband and I, and he grew up, um, Catholic and he was like, you don't have to do all that. <laughs> like you that's a lot. I'm not, cause they were going to make, I had to do the whole thing to be married in a Catholic church. And, um, he was like, I'm, I don't, I don't care that much. So you don't have to do all that. Like, okay. So we wanted to be married by, we wanted to be married in the, um, eyes of the church as well. So we didn't want to do just the, um, whatever it's called justice of the peace route. So I was looking and I found my friend, Jesse, and I was like, do you think your dad will marry me? my husband and my boyfriend. And she was like, ah, I don't know. He doesn't ever marry anyone who doesn't go to our church. And I was like, mm, okay, can you talk to him? So, so she did. And he did uh, agree to marry us. And we did marriage counseling with him, um, which I loved. I love them so much there. That church in upstate New York was kind of the, my beginning pieces of seeing who, like who Jesus really was. And um, he married us and it, it was great. My best friend, um, the one with the vaccine injured son, we all went to the same high school together. She was saved before me and she started going to this church and I went with her a handful of times and I would just cry every single time I went to church and it made me uncomfortable. So I wouldn't go very often. And now I realize that it was, you know, the Lord and the Holy Spirit speaking to me through church and all of the songs. And I just would sit there in the back and I would just cry. And I'm like, well, that was fun. I just cried for two hours. <laughs> that was fun. Thanks. <laughs> um, I don't know what to do with this information. I don't know how to process it. So um, she was planting seeds, living a very Jesus-filled life. And um, what I didn't know um, was that, oh, it's going to make me cry. Um, what I didn't know is that she was praying for me every day. And last year, we do these team retreats um, with our team, with a company that I work with. And we decided at the first one that we did that we were going to baptize anyone who wanted to be baptized because it was the middle of COVID. 
churches were closed. People were coming to Jesus and nobody would baptize them. And she said, I, she like raised her hand and she was like, I read the Bible and it said to be a disciple and to make disciples of others. So I'm pretty sure that I am capable and I can baptize all the people. So we were in Gulf Shores, Gulf Shores, Alabama, right on the Atlantic Ocean on the Gulf side. And all of these people, we had, they had made shirts and everybody was, we were doing um, church on the beach. And um, all of these people had, they'd come there, they came there knowing that they were getting baptized that weekend. And I was watching all of this stuff and I had been piecing with reading the Bible. Like I had the app, I was doing like looking into devotionals, but I, I really didn't know what to do. And it just, it like came over me while I was there. And I was like, today's the day. Today's the day. This is the day. Today is the day that I'm getting baptized. And it's going to happen right here in the Atlantic Ocean. And today's the day. And what I didn't know until that day was every single person that was there had been praying for me to accept Jesus into my life for two years. And I had no idea. And that was so huge for me. And it, I knew in that moment that everything that had happened to me from finding the business that I'm in, having the success that I did, being able to leave nursing, being able to move, being able to homeschool my child, like having this platform of people to speak to and to be able to teach and do what I need to do and all of the blessings, like it all came over me that I did not, none of that. It, none of it was me. It was all him. And it was time for me to own up to that and, and say this, none of it was my doing. It was all his doing. And, um, I, I also had a ton of past childhood trauma that I had been carrying for 30 years. And I remember we had stones and we took everything that we had that we wanted to give away. And we had the stone and we threw it in the ocean and, I have never been the same since that day. And I knew it, it was so weird. I, it, in that instant, I knew I was like, this is why people never shut up about Jesus. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I never had that in my life. And um, he, I, I knew that he, if I surrendered everything to him, I knew that he would take away all of the burdens that I had and he would take away everything. And he would also tell me how I can help more people. And he would tell me what type of work he had in mind for me. And I couldn't do it alone. And I, now I understand why everybody who knows Jesus and has a relationship with him is so loud about it. And I get goosebumps just thinking about how it all happened. And it was all in his plan. And it was all in his timing. And um, I'm just irritated at myself for waiting for so long <laughs> to say yes, because my life is a hundred percent completely different than it was in September of last year before I, before I gave my life to him. So now that I'm crying and snotting all over, I'll be done with that story. <laughs> I love it. I, that is so powerful. And, um, I want to share something if you don't mind. Um, I found this, um, that you had written and I'm just going to read it a little bit from it, but it's an open letter to the non-believer. Mm. Um, 
And you said, I know it's hard to go against everything the world has told you. I know it's hard to put your ego down and admit that you cannot fix yourself, that you are broken beyond repair, that you are a sinner and worthy of forgiveness. Spoil alert, you are worthy. Maybe you've done terrible things. Maybe terrible things have been done to you. Maybe you wonder how a God that supposedly loves you so much, um, he gave his only son so that you could live, could let some of these things um, happen have happened to you. Perhaps you are like me and have a calling on your heart to listen to what Jesus is saying to you, but you aren't ready to give up your worldly life yet. You think that followers of Jesus are boring and weird. You aren't ready yet. And that's okay. It doesn't have to happen overnight. It doesn't have to look like attending one church service and then throwing yourself 100% into the word. Maybe it happens like that for some people, but that certainly wasn't my story. Just know if you're feeling lost, the world will never satisfy you. You will spend your life chasing wholeness and your cup will always be empty. Jesus is the only way. I love that. <laughs> and you said more, um, more stuff, but I, um, I love that now, you know, God knows just what he's doing. He's brought you to this position. Um, you you have a lot of people that follow you, a lot of people that share what you're um, teaching, and he's all a part of it, and that's all a part of his plan. And um, I just think it's so beautiful and just um, why I wanted to have you on today for all of the reasons, everything we've talked about today. It's so, so awesome. Um, before we go, though, I have to ask you my anchor questions that I ask all my guests. And so the first one is, what is your anchor meal? Like a meal that's kind of one of your go-tos, pretty healthy that um, you usually have the ingredients on hand and you make regularly. This one's really easy. When you asked me that, I was like, oh, and we haven't had this for a while because the weather has not been good. So I should make it this week. <laughs> Um, we have a Blackstone grill. It's one of those flat top cast iron grills and we do hibachi out there tons in the summer. Um, but you know, when the weather isn't great, we are not standing outside grilling, but basically it's just, I get fresh steak from the, um, farmer's market or fresh fish. We live right on the ocean and some veggies and I season them up with, um, just coconut aminos, which I stopped using soy sauce a long time ago because I heard that soy was bad for you. Probably there's more details about soy. Um, but I found coconut aminos and I like them because they don't have soy and they don't have all the garbage that soy usually has, the soy sauce usually has in it. And they're a little sweeter. Um, so I season those all up with that and I switch off. My family gets really angry when I make cauliflower fried rice, but I enjoy it. So I make cauliflower <laughs> fried rice for myself. I make regular rice for them. Um, and really it's my husband's, um, fancy meal that he likes cause he does all the grill master stuff. I just cut everything and put it on a plate and bring it out to him. Um, but it's super simple. It takes barely any time to prepare. You just have to cut up your vegetables and it's really filling. If you give yourself a lot of vegetables, I usually do onions, mushrooms, um, um, squash, broccoli. And if I'm feeling extra fancy carrots, and that's my <laughs> go-to healthy meal. That sounds delicious. I love coconut aminos as well. And I recommend that people make that switch from soy, um, to the coconut aminos. I think coconut aminos are tasty. They're a little sweeter. Too. And it's like a, um, the brand that I get that I prefer, I can't remember what it's called. It's in a blue bottle. It's um, it's thicker too. It's not watery. It's almost, it's like a thicker consistency. I, I prefer it. 
Yeah, I know which one you're talking about, and I can't think of the the name either, but um, that's a good one. And yeah, my family doesn't love cauliflower rice, um, but sometimes I will do like I'll mix a little bit in there, kind of like I kind of know the point to where they'll be like, "Mom, you put the cauliflower rice in here, didn't you?" What I learned <laughs> like, about the cauliflower rice, I did this on accident once because I had some cooked up quinoa in my fridge, and I was like, "I got to use this. I'm going to throw it in here." If you put do like half and half cauliflower rice and quinoa and get the cauliflower like really crispy and put the quinoa in there, it makes a big difference. And my husband will actually eat it and he never eats cauliflower rice. Mm. <laughs> it was like an accidental find. <laughs> Love when that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. And how about an anchor Bible verse? One that is just a favorite or one that's speaking to you um, just right now? So I chose one that's speaking to me right now, and it's because um, we have been studying the book of Revelation in church for the last two months. Next week is the end of the series. And what's interesting, I always love to tell people this because they're like, really? Um, the first book I ever read in the Bible was Revelation. Well, my goodness, <laughs> just go for it. Because, um, I, wow. I'm, I'm kind of a tin hatter. I'm a conspiracy theorist type person. I was like, okay, what is going to happen next? I need <laughs> to know. So Revelation was the first book that I read in the Bible. So when they said that they were going to do this whole series, I was like, yes, I'm so excited. They have study guides. I've been such a nerd about it. But um, Revelation 21.4 has me both shook and very excited. And it is, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are forever gone. So when our time comes to stand face to face with our father and live in heaven with him, it will be better than anything that we can ever imagine. And we need to not fear death. It is something that stops us from living. And I think that that's where a lot of people are in the state of the world right now. They are so fearful of death that they forget to live. And I think that it's something that if we, if we could envision, our pastor was telling us on, on Sunday at church, he said, the, the beauties of the world, if you think of the most beautiful things in the world, it is, it's nothing compared to what heaven looks like and is. And if we could envision what heaven really looks like, then we could live our lives to the fullest while we're here, knowing where we're going when we're done here. And that was, that was just so powerful to me when I, when I heard that and I read that passage and then I, you know, applied it to everything that we learned in church on Sunday. I was like, oh yes, so true. Yeah, that's incredible. Have you read the, um, have you read the Left Behind series? I have it's fiction, not. but um, you should look into that. But it sounds like something I need to write down. Yes, you should. <laughs> it's all, it is all about this. It's it's fictional, but it's very biblically based. And um, I'd heard people talk about it for years. It's kind of a long series, but it it, it taught me more about the Bible just because it, it brings in so much scripture. But um, it is, wow, it is an eye opener and it really... Um, help me understand Revelation more in a very kind of inner, in, in, what do they say, edutainment, um, edutainment, oh, yeah. educational entertainment kind of way. Which That's I like. the only type of thing I let that like, I don't watch TV, but I watch edutainment. <laughs> yes. And this is, 
This is a this is a good one, and um, anyway, that one stuck with me. I I've talked about it a lot, especially when I was reading it last year. That's what I read during um, the first of the pandemic. I was <laughs> I read the Left Behind series because I'm like I don't want to be left behind. Um, so anyway, it's kind of fascinating. That's, awesome. um, that's a good one. Nobody has shared one from Revelation um, yet, so I'm so glad you did. Um, this has been awesome. I feel like I could talk to you for a really, really long time. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about <laughs> so many things, but in the meantime, I am going to continue to um, follow along with all that you share. I think you're doing great work and I would love if you would tell everyone how to best connect with you, find you so they can um, follow along as well. So I'm on everything, <laughs> but I mostly share on Facebook is where I live the most. Um, you can find me, Amanda Wilcox, if you do, like, I don't know what it's called, the little at sign, if you look me up that way, it's um, hey, it's Wilcox. Um, and that's my handle on Instagram as well, and TikTok, and I don't know where else I live. Those three <laughs> are the main ones. Um, and in my bio, from any of those places, I have a link tree that has where you can catch me everywhere. Um, I'm most active on Facebook, but I just learned that you can share all your Facebook stuff right over to Instagram. So I'm apparently active on Instagram now too. Um, <laughs> so those are the those are the main places. I um, I try to share as much information as I can, learning wise. Um, you can keep up with my behind the scenes life and my stories. I. I'm very, here's the other thing too. proceed with caution. I have zero filter. (laughs) (laughs) I have zero filter. I have yet to be censored on the internet yet. Um, I just get warnings slapped all over everything. Um, But I'm there for now. I did start a website, which I need to be better about posting in, but I forget just in case, you know, the social medias ever disappear from the planet. I'll have a place to still chat and share and do all of that fun stuff. But those are, those are my main places where I live. Yeah. You need to make sure you have your, an email list going. That's what I ever tell everybody here. Um, I used to run my, um, my nutritional groups on Facebook and, you know, I got some things slapped on me one time where it shut it down. It really scared me. And I'm just, you know, I'm surprised you haven't been shut down uh, yet. I really, <laughs> it's probably think, coming. <laughs> I really think that it's God himself that has kept me from not being shut down because every, my best friend, the one who led me to Jesus and had the vaccine injured child and all of that, she is permanently banned from Facebook. Um, <sighs> she, she cannot make a new account. So she had to take over her husband's account, um, which she did, but she permanently banned. All my friends are in Facebook jail all the time, 30 day stints, 90 day stints, all of this stuff. And I'm like, I just, I I don't know. I have 18,000 followers and I just get stickers on my stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I got so lucky. It's the Holy Spirit. It has to be. There's no other explanation because I don't know. I've never, never. And I, and I share some pretty controversial things. You do. Mm-hmm. I had the FBI come to my house. <gasps> what? Fun fact. Um, I was present in D.C. on January 6th. Um, so the FBI came to my house. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm really story. surprised you, um, haven't not been shut down, but well, thank God, <laughs> praise God for that. But, um, so yeah, but everybody go 
check her out. That's why I really just appreciate you because you're just very straightforward and you have no filter. I really don't. It gets me people like that in the world. I think it's, I think it's awesome. So, um, that's what, that is what I was like, oh yeah, I got to get her on here. This is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. This has been so fun. Yeah, you know, so awesome. All right, everybody. Well, go um go check out Amanda. Um, she shares so much um really good information like she did here today. And um I thought we did a good job of starting the new year out with a with a bang. Um and I hope everyone has a um a wonderful day, a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.